Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the HypnoDojo, a place of learning for practitioners and students of hypnotherapy. Get your black belts in all things hypnotherapy as we whip into shape your mindset, mastery, and marketing. Relax, enjoy, learn. Here's your sensei, Linda Campbell. Hi, thanks for joining me on the Hypno Dojo. I am Linda Campbell. I'm the president of the <laughs> Canadian Association of Counseling Hypnotherapists and Educators. It's always such a mouthful, CASH for short. And I also run my own hypnotherapy school, the Horizon Center. Uh, this episode, we're going to be looking at part two of dealing with people who have complex trauma. So the last show I did went into a lot of detail about what complex trauma is, how it is differentiated from post-traumatic stress disorder, and what kinds of symptoms it tends to lead people to have. So I'll just do a very quick recap of what complex trauma is and what the difference is between that and PTSD. So PTSD, or post-traumatic stress disorder, is a one-time event that occurs where you or somebody else were in danger. And the big key factor here is that it's a one-time event. Complex trauma, in comparison, is when a person is in a traumatic situation on an ongoing basis. So living in a situation where you can't relax, where you don't feel safe, where you feel disempowered. So some examples of this might be a person growing up in a household with an abusive or critical parent, or perhaps growing up with a parent with a serious mental health issue, or growing up with neglect. So it's not a one-time incident, but it's a number of events, more of an environment, really, that just is ongoing. And complex trauma really changes you because typically, uh, because it's an ongoing thing and tends to have to do with your childhood and the environment in which you were raised, the, the trauma that occurs occurs at a time when we're developing our sense of self, when we're getting a sense of who we are in the world, when we're developing our belief system. So as opposed to uh, post-traumatic stress, where we may already have a sense of ourselves, uh, you know, a sense of safety and security in the world, we may be fairly well-adjusted, and then a traumatic event occurs and we're able to process it more easily, a person with complex trauma has had a series of events that have actually shaped their belief system to such a degree that by the time another event occurs, something that could potentially lead to post-traumatic stress disorder, they're already set up to have that impact them in a big way. And I'm going to talk in a minute about how people with complex trauma end up with post-traumatic stress disorder. So our events that we are exposed to shape us. They cause us to form beliefs about ourselves, about the world, about other people. And then once those beliefs are established, they tend to persist. The subconscious is illogical. So it doesn't go through the various beliefs that we formed at any point in our lives and update them. It's not as though it goes, well, that, you know, that event is no longer occurring. I can scratch that old belief or I don't have to believe this anymore. It's no longer relevant in my life. The subconscious acts as though you're kind of frozen in time. I will say to my clients sometimes, it's as though a little piece of ourselves gets snagged off on our personal timeline and keeps on living there. So because the subconscious is illogical, it doesn't understand passage of time. It doesn't understand that who you are now or where you are now is different from where you were when the trauma was occurring. It just assumes once you're in trauma, always in trauma. And so some of the common beliefs that I have found with people who have complex trauma are things like I'm not safe, 
uh, I'm powerless, I'm not worthy, I'm not lovable, I'm not enough. And these beliefs make sense because when somebody is experiencing ongoing trauma and they don't have the ability to kind of separate themselves out from it and look at it with very much objectivity, we make it about ourselves. So I'm going to back up a little bit. Because complex trauma tends to stem from childhood events that are ongoing, we've got to look at the mindset of a child who is experiencing trauma. Children are, for the most part, egocentric, so they don't have the capacity to step back and go, oh, maybe my parent has an issue. Maybe they're being critical or abusive towards me. It has nothing to do with me. Of course not. The, the child is going to go, what's the wrong with me? This person who is supposed to be uh, wired to love me unconditionally is harming me, is hurting me, appears to not like me, is putting me in danger. It must be because of me. So because we're developing our belief system and developing our sense of self, and because we're egocentric and tend to put ourselves in every equation, can't remove ourselves and look at it objectively, uh, again, the beliefs that we form at that time are very much that we are somehow unlovable, unworthy, and of course not safe. Uh, You know, as kids, we are completely dependent on the big people to take care of us. If the big people are harming us instead of caring for us or neglecting us instead of caring for us, our automatic assumption is I must be not worthy of protecting. I must not be worthy of being taken care of. So the event of, or the environment of having traumatic experiences leads you to form beliefs that you're not worthy or that you're disempowered or that you're not safe. And then, of course, the beliefs that we have within our psyche lead to a variety of symptoms. So, for example, if a parent is abusive, that can lead to the development of the belief, I'm not lovable, I'm not safe, I can't trust other people, I'm powerless. And then once these beliefs are stamped in your psyche, they shape your behavior. If you believe you're not lovable, you're going to carry that belief into every other situation or environment or experience in your life unless something happens for you to change that belief. So once you think you're not lovable, you may settle for other abusive relationships because you don't think that you're lovable enough to be uh, you know, treated well. Uh, because you think you're not lovable, you may think that you're not worthy to go after things that you really want. So you might settle for a career that you don't really like. You might not have a, a great financial situation because you, you don't believe that you're worthy of anything better. So the events cause us to form beliefs, and because of those beliefs, we develop ways of being in the world. We develop, The symptoms occur on, as a result of the beliefs. So somebody who believes they're powerless because they've gone through a lot of traumatic events and weren't able to prevent the trauma that was occurring uh, may be set up for mistreatment from other people. If you feel powerless, you may not feel as though you can advocate for yourself, that you can stand up for yourself, that you can set boundaries, that you can say no to somebody, that you can you know, uh, draw a line in the sand and then firmly stand beside that line. So when clients come to see us, they're commonly focusing on the symptoms. So a client might come to me and say, you know, I'm having a hard time at work. I've got a really toxic environment. My boss is, uh, you know, just giving me too much work to do, is overloading me, and I need to find some way to cope. I need to find some way to manage stress. But when you look at why that person is in this situation, it could stem back to having been disempowered and now not feeling as though they can save the boss, 
hey, wait, this is too much work for me to handle. I need you to, you know, scale it back a little bit. So the current situation that the client is uh, focused on often has its uh, roots in past events. So I'm often looking for patterns. Uh, you know, if, if this person is disempowered by authorities over and over and over, that probably got set up early on. And the reason I say that is I, I use the analogy of planting a seed, okay? If, if the seed gets planted early on in your childhood that you're not worthy or that you're not lovable or that you're not safe, then that seed kind of hangs out there in your psyche. And then when somebody else comes along and disempowers you or hurts you or harms you or puts you down, it just reinforces. It's like it waters the seed and something grows from that. If the seed had never been planted, if you had grown up in an environment where you were always supported and loved and taken care of and valued, all the good stuff that we really need, if somebody tried to mistreat you, you would probably remove yourself from that situation. If, pro- if somebody put you down, you would, you would speak up to them and say, hey, that's not fair. Or you might dismiss the kinds of things they say. So oftentimes the reason a person is struggling by the time they come to see me with a current situation is because the seed was planted early on in their lives to set them up to have the experience that they're in now. Is that making sense? So I've got a client right now who uh, was abused by a teacher when she was a kid and and was also abused by her father on and off throughout her childhood as well. So she's got a lot of stuff around people in a position of authority. And so she uh, signed up to take a photography class and showed her work to the photography teacher and he basically told her that her work was shit, that she didn't have a good eye, as he put it. And she really took that on board. It really hurt her and made her consider that perhaps she should be giving up doing photography. Now she showed her photographs to friends and to family and people in her photography class and other people were saying, no, no, this is amazing. You've got a really brilliant eye. And yet she could not get the words of the photography teacher out of her head. So for some reason, she's giving all of this weight to the photography teacher. Uh, He's allowing her to doubt herself against all of this other evidence that she's actually quite skilled and talented. You know, all of these other people are saying, no, 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 you've got what it takes, but this one person could just diminish her. Why? (laughs) Because the seed was planted early on by other people in authority that she doesn't know what she's doing, that she doesn't have value, that she doesn't have skill. And so when someone else in a position of authority comes along and says the same thing, she believes it. That seed has already been planted. If the seed had never been planted and the teacher said, no, you don't have a good eye, she might have said, ah, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Everyone else thinks I'm doing just fine. I'm going to disregard that comment. But again, when we've heard it before, when that's kind of our core belief about ourselves, it's hard to dismiss the comment because it just seems to reinforce what somebody earlier on has told us about ourselves. So again, once these beliefs are stamped in our psyche, they stay there, and then they're re-triggered later on in our lives by similar events or similar people. So the events that we have, of course, (laughs) shape how we look at the world. Uh, One of the examples that I use with my clients in hypnosis is uh, the game of I spy. So the pattern sounds a little something like this. I'll talk about how we will see in the world what it is we are conditioned to see, what it is we expect to see. 
So, for example, if you've been taught that the world is full of good people doing good things, then that will be your experience of the world. If you were to turn on a news program, you would see uh, – let me back up. If you were taught that the world is full of bad people doing bad things, let's start there, actually. If you turned on a news program, you would see the – you would tune into the stories about bad people doing bad things out there in the world, the terrorists and the, you know, the, the, the bad events that are occurring. Those were the things that would catch your attention. If you looked into a sea of unfamiliar faces, you would hone in on the people who look a bit sketchy. If you walked past a schoolyard of kids playing, you would interpret the sounds of the kids' voices as kids up to mischief, misbehaving. And if somebody gave you a compliment, you would probably question their agenda. What do they mean by that? What do they want from me? So because you've been taught the world is full of bad people doing bad things, that's the filter through which you're looking at the world. If, on the other hand, you've been taught that the world is full of good people doing good things, you would have a completely different experience of the world. You're playing a different game of I Spy. If you turn on that same news program, now you're going to hear about the Good Samaritans and people helping out in a crisis and relief efforts. You're going to focus on the stories about good people doing good things. If you looked in that same sea of unfamiliar faces, this time you would be drawn to the people who look warm and inviting. If you walked past that same schoolyard of kids playing, this time you would interpret the sounds of the kids' voices as kids having fun, full of energy. And if somebody gave you a compliment, you would just say, thank you. You wouldn't question their agenda. You'd be able to simply receive it. And so the world has everything in it. Just like a game of I Spy, if I tell you to look around the room you're in right now for things that are black, you'll notice black things all over the place. They pop out. But while you're looking for the black things, you're ignoring red things or white things or blue things or green things. Your mind is focused on looking for evidence of what you have been taught about yourself just like in a game of I Spy, you're focusing on finding a particular color. And so when we've been brought up <laughs> that we're bad, that there's something wrong with us, or that's the assumption we make because we've had a series of ongoing events where we're traumatized, where we're abused, we do the same thing when we look at ourselves. So whether we're looking externally out at the world for the bad people doing bad things or we're looking inside at ourselves for the ways that we're bad, for the ways we're shameful, for the ways we're wrong, we will find evidence that matches what it is we're looking for. Is that making sense? So let me just tie this together a little bit. Because when we're kids, at the time that this kind of trauma happens, we don't have the objectivity to be able to put into perspective the kinds of messages we're being given. We're not able to go, oh, maybe my dad has his own issues and that's why he's critical of me. Maybe this has nothing to do with the person I am. Maybe I'm amazing. Maybe this is about his stuff. We don't have that objectivity. We don't have that ability to think that way when we're little. We're egocentric, therefore we make it about ourselves. Our father is critical to us, and we think, I'm not lovable, I'm flawed, I'm not worthy, I'm not, I'm not you know, I don't have any, anything worth uh, valuing, I'm a, I'm a lousy person. And then we will continue, because that belief has been set up in us, to look for all the ways that we're a lousy person. You know, so we could get five A's and one C on a report card, and what are we going to focus on? We're going to focus on the C. We're going to do well on a test, but instead of saying, oh, good for me, I'm smart, I'm, you know, I did really great with that, we're going to say, ah, the test was easy, that was a fluke. So we're going to filter everything through that belief that we are not enough. So 
when a client comes to see us, there's all kinds of uh, beliefs that they've had ingrained over and over and over through a series of dramatic events that we need to work on reshaping uh, for them. And I'm going to come back to that in a little while. Uh, before I go there, I want to talk about the correlation to PTSD. Now, there is scientific evidence that the people with complex trauma are the ones who, if they experience some kind of life-threatening event, are going to develop PTSD. So we know that you know a bunch of people can experience the same event, and some people are going to end up with PTSD and some people are not. Some people are going to bounce back more easily. Why? Because the people who have had complex trauma have already uh, established beliefs that they're not worthy, that they're not safe, uh, that you know they're in trouble, they, they're disempowered. And so when another event comes along that is life-threatening, it basically just reinforces what they already believe about themselves. They already feel unsafe, and so this just heightens that feeling of being unsafe. On the other hand, if somebody has been brought up that they're worthy, that they're safe, that the world is essentially a good place, a traumatic event may uh, alter some of those beliefs, but they're more likely to bounce back because they've got a lot of um, already stored up belief in themselves that they can that they're that they're safe, that they're valuable. So it doesn't diminish them the same way. It doesn't reinforce a belief they already have that's negative about themselves. It's more of a one-off. They're able to discard it or not have it change their worldview quite so much. So because somebody with cognitive or cognitive complex trauma already feels unsafe and disempowered, an event that causes post-traumatic stress disorder is simply a reinforcer of what they already believe. So a person with uh, complex trauma has more deeply ingrained negative beliefs and has had more events that have occurred to prove to them that the world is unsafe and that they're helpless to do anything about it and therefore are more likely to end up with post-traumatic stress. So when it comes to the current treatments, there's a lot of limitations because a lot of the current treatment for complex trauma is talk therapy. And talking doesn't necessarily change your core beliefs. A person can know something intellectually, talk about it until the cows come home, understand themselves, psychoanalyze themselves, but it doesn't necessarily change anything on a subconscious level. So for example, if I've had somebody who's been through a series of traumatic events and we have a conversation about it, and we're able to arrive at the conclusion that where they are in their life now, they're safe, those events are long since passed, they can handle things that come up now at their current age or their current level of development. They can know that intellectually, but that doesn't stop them from having you know, uh, heart palpitations if, if a door slams in the distance because their subconscious is still frozen in the past, thinking that that door slamming in the distance is dad coming home ready to beat me again. So... We can know something intellectually. That doesn't necessarily mean that translates to anything changing on a subconscious level. And the subconscious is the part of the mind that is responsible for our emotions. It's the part of our mind that is responsible for our fight-flight response, our protective response. And it's the part of our mind that's responsible for our beliefs. So knowing something intellectually in your rational mind doesn't change emotions, doesn't change behaviors, and doesn't change beliefs. An example of this would be, you know, I get clients uh, who I work on with OCD. And a client with OCD knows intellectually that they don't have to spend an hour locking the door before they leave the house. However, 
that knowing doesn't stop them from having the overwhelming compulsion to do so, and it doesn't stop them from having you know, a great deal of anxiety if they try to avoid locking the door. So again, an intellectual understanding isn't enough to change anything on a subconscious level. And complex trauma has affected us on a subconscious level. Those beliefs are now old, ingrained beliefs. They're not new. They're not in the rational mind. They're down there in the subconscious. So what can we as hypnotherapists do to help? There's a number of different things. I'm hoping I can get through them all in the time that I have left. So I mentioned earlier that it's as though the person is kind of frozen in time. The subconscious doesn't understand the the passage of time. Time is a logical mind construct. So the subconscious doesn't understand past, present, future. So if the person is still responding to a past event or a series of events as though they were still occurring, one of the things that we can do in hypnosis is exercises to remind the traumatized child within the client that they're now in a different place in their lives physically as well as emotionally, intellectually, and uh, as far as their age is concerned. So oftentimes I'm doing a lot of what I call hypnotic argument, making a compelling argument that the client cannot poke any holes in to convince the subconscious to shift those beliefs. So if the client has a belief that I am disempowered, I am unsafe because of those traumatic events, I want to point out how they are now safe, how they are now empowered, So I might talk about how they've now grown up, right? There's a big difference between being a child in an environment with an adult who is, you know, bigger than you, stronger than you, who's running the household and where you're uh, disempowered because they've got more power in the relationship than you do, than there is between being an adult dealing with other adults. So the very fact that they've matured, that they've grown up, means they have more power in the world even if they have difficulty still with setting boundaries or saying no, which may be other areas we get into, just the fact that they can remove themselves from a situation that's toxic where they couldn't have when they were kids means that they have more power. So I'm pointing out that they're now grown up, and I may be doing exercises with them inside their mind to illustrate that. I may be pointing out that they're no longer in that environment, they're no longer in that that situation, Uh, that they're not trapped. When we're kids, we have no power. We can't remove ourselves from a situation that's untenable. We just have to find ways to cope with it as well as we can. As an adult, if there was somebody who was abusive in your environment, you can get yourself out of there. You can call the cops. There's resources that you have available to you. And as an adult, you know how to use them. When we're kids, we don't have that information. We don't have that knowledge. We don't have that skill. And so I'm pointing out that they're not trapped in that situation, that they're more empowered now, they have more skills, more life experience, more ability to get help, to get support, to get advice, to remove themselves. So there's a lot of different uh, arguments that I'm going to make, but then I'm also going to do exercises with them to illustrate those points. So, for example, one of the exercises I have created I call Tour of Your Life. So how this works is I'll have the client imagine a timeline of their life out in front of them, and I'll have them uh, imagine walking back down the timeline into their past without going into any specific event or location because I don't want to re-traumatize them, and to find their younger self, the younger self that was traumatized, waiting for them somewhere along the timeline. Then I'm going to instruct them to bring that younger self back up the timeline to where they currently reside, to actually take that younger self into the home that they live in now. And then I'll help them get that, take that younger self on a tour of their life as it is currently. Maybe you show them what you do for fun. Maybe you introduce them to your kids or your pets or your partner. 
for some of your friends. Maybe you show them through your house. Maybe you show them some of your hobbies or some of your interests or what you do for a career. And, of course, the point of this exercise is to illustrate to the subconscious that doesn't understand time has passed that this person is older, wiser, in a whole different life experience, in a whole different physical location, and therefore now is safe where they weren't safe before. I may also be doing some inner child or informed adult work. So in this case, I will have the adult, uh, the, the version of the client who's coming to see me, visit with their younger self, again, the younger self that was traumatized, and find out what that younger self needs. Does that younger self need support? Do they need affection? Do they need to understand what's going on? Do they need some safety or security? Do they need information? Do they need to be removed? So in hypnosis, I have them talk to that younger version of themselves and find out what that younger self needs and then find a way to provide it for them. So again, this points out to the subconscious that you're capable of taking care of yourself now. The things that you didn't get in childhood, the care or support or attention, you're now able to provide for yourself. Uh, So I may also, of course, be doing updates, (laughs) like updating their coping mechanisms, updating their beliefs about their amount of power and control and safety. Uh, When I say updating their coping mechanisms, when we're experiencing trauma and we cannot, um, you know, we, our natural response is one of three things, fight, flight, or freeze. So if we're capable, we will choose fight or flight. We will try to get ourselves out of there, remove ourselves from a dangerous situation, or we will fight. We'll get all this adrenaline going in our system to try to protect ourselves, to try to defend ourselves. Now, a lot of people don't know about the third option, don't know about freeze. If you're unable to remove yourself from a situation that's threatening and you're unable to fight back because they're bigger or you're outnumbered or overpowered, then the third option is to choose freeze. Now, in the wild, if an animal can't get away from uh, something that's chasing it, they might just freeze. You, you see this when you're driving down the road and a deer goes to cross the road or a bunny rabbit and suddenly it'll stop and just stare at you frozen in the headlights. So this is the response. When we can't get away, we can't fight back. When we're disempowered, we will freeze. And so people will choose fight, flight, or freeze as some of their coping mechanisms. Now, because the subconscious doesn't understand passage of time and doesn't understand that you're safe now and you're no longer in that situation, those coping mechanisms will still be maintained. So we're going to see examples of fight, flight, freeze in our client. What does that look like? Well, the fight or flight looks like hypervigilance. So this is somebody who is really empathic. They can read the room because they've got the ability to kind of figure out what's going to happen five seconds before it happens. That's a protective mechanism, so you can get yourself out of there if the, you know, if the abuse or the, you know, the, the, the shit is about to hit the fan. Um, you might see it in, uh, in somebody being dissociated. This is more uh, flight. So if it's unsafe to be in your environment or it's unsafe to be in your body, people will kind of take off. You hear these stories of somebody who's experiencing physical trauma or sexual trauma, but they're witnessing it from outside of their body. If it's not safe to feel what it is you're feeling, we, we have a coping mechanism where we can splinter off and observe it from a safe distance and not have to feel what's actually going on in our bodies. So we will see people when they've had a lot of trauma who are still in that fight, flight, freeze, 
we're going to see hypervigilance, we're going to see numbing, we're going to see disassociation, and there may be other coping mechanisms that people have developed as well. So, for example, if it wasn't safe for you to speak up, people learn not to say anything. They learn to kind of blend into the background. They learn that they not to express their needs. They learn not to ask for anything. If it's unsafe for you to say what it is you need, if that's just going to backfire on you and hurt you, then that coping mechanism of just keeping your mouth shut, blending into the background, not saying anything, can still be maintained as an adult. So one of the things that is highly therapeutic, working with somebody who has uh, trauma, I call it the therapy beyond the therapy. Even our dealings with the client give them an opportunity, before we even put them into hypnosis, to give them the thing that they never got to get when they were a child. So if somebody was in ongoing traumatic situations, they may not have felt heard, they may not have felt loved, accepted, they may not have uh, felt seen, they may not have felt, felt believed, they may not have felt careful. They may have never had the opportunity to talk about what was going on for them. With trauma, sometimes people are put in a position of having to maintain the family secret. And so it's highly therapeutic to create an environment where the client can talk to you about what's going on and you're offering them support, you're non-judgmental, you're showing them care, you're showing them concern, you're believing them. So just giving them a voice can be therapeutic. So those are some of the things that we can do. There's still a few things on my list. Tackle the rest of them in another episode on this. I find working with complex trauma fascinating and really uh, heartwarming. Hearing the experiences that people have had and the fact that they're coming to see you to work through it just really makes me feel this wonderful sense of awe for the human spirit and what we're capable of overcoming. Thank you so much for tuning in. Next week we will do part three on complex trauma, other things that we can do to help people with traumatic experiences in their past. Thank you so much for listening. Okay, take one <laughs> with correction with Campbell. With Campbell. Campbell. The, the, okay. Get your black belt in all things hypnotherapy and never blend. <laughs>